Well, for one, I wasn't allowed to go near my home for two weeks because the area was still considered so dangerous that the fire department wasn't even letting residents up into the hills where I lived. And I knew I had known for two weeks that my home had been completely destroyed. But when I actually got to where my house had been, it was complete shock. It was utterly unbelievable to me that a 2,700 square foot, two-story home could be reduced to not just rubble, but dust and bits of rebar sticking out of the ground, literally nothing. There was nothing left of the five magnificent eucalyptus trees that graced the front area of the house. There was nothing left of anything, the garage, the chimney, nothing. And I walked around. I remember my minister, God bless her, came with me because she said, no, well, you shouldn't do this alone. And she was right. I, I, I felt like a zombie. Like this, I'm in another universe. It is a wrong universe, and somebody slap me and wake me up. This week, Dr. Noelle Nelson returns to share a very personal story of loss and triumph, which she recounts in her new book, Phoenix Rising. We discuss the impact and trauma of her house burning to the ground and a few of the lessons that she learned and are shared in her new book. And before we get going, I want to make an amendment to a book title I reference later on, Happy Healthy Dead. That book is actually titled The Longevity Secret, How to Live Happy, Healthy, and Vibrant into Your 70s, 80s, 90s, and Beyond. I thought about trying to cut and edit the title into our actual recording, but it was too clunky and I know... Everyone listening to this podcast is smart and will remember the book title later on. So with that, I hope you enjoy our conversation. And again, a big thank you to Noelle for sharing her story. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Into each other's eyes, we know that it's showtime. Clear our heads of all our worries and fears. Now we know it's showtime. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again with the lovely, the brilliant Dr. Noelle Nelson. Hi, Noelle. Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, Noelle is a clinical psychologist, a consultant, a popular speaker in the U.S. and abroad, is also the author of uh, well over a dozen best-selling books now, and that's why we're here today, because we're going to talk about another one. You're so prolific. I <laughs> I don't know how you do it, honestly, because uh, I know how busy you are and everything else that you do, and then you crank out books like this. It's it, it's super impressive to me. Um <laughs> So uh, you have uh, just going to knock off like three most recent ones that you have here. Uh, Happy, Healthy, Dead, uh, I Survived COVID-19, What Now? And the book we're talking about today, Phoenix Rising, Surviving Catastrophic Loss, Fires, Floods, Hurricanes, and Tornadoes. And for anyone uh, wondering, you can find this on Amazon as a paperback, ebook, or audiobook. Uh, and you can also get more information of all the books that Noelle has done on her website, noellenelson.com, and of course, hitchmag.com. 
So, Noel, Phoenix Rising. Um, this is a very personal story. Um, can, can you give, actually, before we get going and I start asking some more pointed questions, can you explain uh, why you wrote this book for the listener? Sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I lost my home to a fire, the Woolsey Fire, in Southern California in 2018, November of 2018. And since that time, and of course before that time also, but since that time, uh, as far as I'm concerned, hmm. far too many people have lost their homes and all their belongings due to various catastrophic natural events. So we're not talking about, you know, gun violence and stuff like that, but rather things like fire, flood, tornadoes, and hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much um, by going through this experience that I thought might be helpful to others. Because frankly, when something happens to me that that is sort of, you know, a punch in the gut, I usually will work hard to find ways out of it. And then my instinct is almost always to write a book, mm. which is why I write so many books. Um, not that I've been punched in the gut that, that often, but it just seems to me that if I can pay it forward, mm -hmm. if out of some god-awful experience I can share something that might help others in similar circumstances, that's what I'm always driven to do. Um, w when you started writing this book, how much of it was therapeutic and how much of it was paying it forward? Most of it was extremely painful to write. Mm -hmm. I, um, to this day, still suffer for some, from some PTSD. So I would say very little was therapeutic. Mm. Most of it was pay it forward. What was therapeutic were the things I, dis I discuss in the book. Gotcha. Not the writing of it. Right, 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 right. Um, so let's let's talk about um, some of the stuff that's in the book. Sure. Um, I'm going to, so you have, uh, so I have some questions in front of me. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Mm -hmm. um, what was your reaction uh, when you saw what was left of your home? Well, for one, I wasn't allowed to go near my home for two weeks because the area was still considered so dangerous that the fire department wasn't even letting residents up into the hills where I lived. And I knew, I had known for two weeks, that my home had been completely destroyed. But when I actually got to where my house had been, it was complete shock. It was utterly unbelievable to me that a 2,700-square-foot, two-story home could be reduced to not just rubble, but dust and bits of rebar sticking out of the ground, literally nothing. There was nothing left of the five magnificent eucalyptus trees that graced the front area of the house. There was nothing left of anything, the garage, the chimney, nothing. And I walked around. I remember my minister, God bless her, came with me because she said, no, well, you shouldn't do this alone. And she was right. I, I, I felt like a zombie. Like this, I'm in another universe. It is a wrong universe, and somebody slapped me and wake me up. Hmm. Um, and we we both live in Southern California, and this is a reoccurring occurrence uh, of these wildfires. Um, and you mentioned the PTSD. So every time you see a wildfire, uh, you see smoke in the sky. I'm assuming that's triggering. 
Um, can you describe the, the night that the fire started getting close to your home? Did you think it was real at that point? Uh, did you think it was really in danger because this is, this happens so frequently? Well, this was, this was my fourth fire in the 18 years I lived there. And so for one, when it started, I had no idea that the fire was even near Malibu, which is where my home was. Uh, it, it was, it, this fire went so fast that it wasn't all that close. I was in a dance class 45 minutes away and we were just kind of joking around about the power being out. I mean, I'm sorry, power goes out. It's Mm -hmm. not a big deal, but I drove home because there was no power. Therefore there was no dancing. And still I didn't see any flames. I smelt smoke though. I definitely Mm -hmm. smelt smoke. But by the time I drove up the hill to my home, I had three messages starting an hour and a half before from the sheriff saying, this is a mandatory evacuation notice. You have 10 minutes to evacuate. Whoa. So I have news for you. This being my fourth fire, I grabbed my two big dogs. I grabbed my laptop, a small box of my mother's jewelry that just happened to be within hand grabbing distance. And I left because I knew from before that you just get out of the firefighter's way. You just, Mm -hmm. you just leave. And I, went right back over the hill to my BFF's home mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, hello, it's 10 o'clock at night. Can, can I come? <laughs> and so your dogs, your laptop mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a box of your mother's jewelry, that mm-hmm. was basically all you were able to grab before you left? Yep. I had in the car, cause I hadn't taken it out of the car yet, my dance bag, which had my, my dance shoes and my, I had my mobile phone in my wallet cause I had my purse uh, and that was the extent of what I owned. Period. And 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 so basically, when, when you're talking about this, uh, I just want <laughs> I just want to be like explicitly clear here. When the dust literally settled, all that you had was what we just described. I had the clothes on my back, and what we just described, and that was it. Wow. Um, it's a very sobering. Yeah. Occurrence. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, again, I can't imagine, uh, what that would have been like for you. Um, I, so I should get this out of the way at this point. Um, I, uh, contributed to the forward of your yes. book. Yes. Um, and one of the things that I discuss in the forward is how, uh, my family has a long line of people in the fire service, uh, uncles who were battalion chiefs. My brother is a battalion chief. My dad was a captain. And so I grew up uh, listening to stories, fire department, firefighter stories. So um, it was it was interesting for me growing up because I would hear secondhand accounts of what took place and transpired. Um, and it wasn't until I got older that I actually – uh, I think matured a little bit and began to consider the people who, where this was happening to firsthand. Um, and you know, when, when my dad would come home and tell these stories, uh, and they were horrific and I could see the trauma that he was suffering from having witnessed some of the things that he did, it it didn't resonate to me about the lives that he was talking about. And some of them were destroyed. Um, some of them would be altered forever, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and so I, I had this, every time I see fires now and the wildfires now, I, I, I 
think about the families and the individuals who suffer these losses. Um, and I always wonder like, how the hell do you move forward? And that's what this book is. This book is how you move forward. And so, um, what were some of the things that surprised you after, uh, you found yourself, uh, a couple weeks after the fire with just the clothes on your back and a jewelry box and a couple dogs? The biggest surprise was what I came to call perfect strangers. And what I mean by that is I discovered that this world is chock full of wonderful people who will bend over backwards to help you, people you don't know. I'll give you an example because it struck me so hard. A few weeks, just a couple of weeks after, I was standing in CVS trying to get my thyroid medication prescription filled because the thyroid medication had burnt up in the fire. And I obviously didn't have any. And it's one of those medications you don't do so well without. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to explain to the pharmacist, really, 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 I'm not trying to score an extra dose, (laughs) you know, or whatever of of thyroid medication. It's not a street drug. (laughs) And and I was getting increasingly frustrated. Plus, you can imagine I was already in not a very good shape. And I remember saying to her, just blurting out, look, my, my house burned down, my medicine burned down with it. I haven't got any. Please, can I have my prescription? Okay, fine. So she relented grudgingly. So there was a line by now behind me at CVS. And as I paid and, and started to walk away, a lady came out of the line and said, ma'am, ma'am, I heard what you just said. Can I buy you anything, anything at all in the store, whatever you need? And Steve... I was utterly, completely blown away. I was so blown away. I couldn't get my thoughts around to even say, yes, I'd love some Mm Q-tips. I I couldn't think that straight. I just went, oh, oh, uh, no, thank you, and left. But as I drove away, I realized that I may have nothing, as in no thing, because literally I didn't have a Mm -hmm. Q-tip, but I have everything because she wasn't the only one. I started to keep a list of all the people who didn't know me. That was important. Mm -hmm. Just strangers who would go out of their way to help me. Like the kennel where I had to board my big dogs. These were not little puppies. (laughs) I had a 75-pounder and a 95-pounder. These are big boys. Mm -hmm. They boarded them for two weeks. And when I got the bill, I paid it, of course. It wasn't until I got home that I realized that without saying anything about it, the kennel had given me a 50% discount. Wow. You have any idea what it costs to board two dogs for two weeks and then to have that bill just halved without right. them even saying, oh, we're going to do this for you? Be- nothing. Nothing. And people did stuff like this all the time. It went on for months. I discovered a world, Steve, I didn't know existed. And what I discovered along with it is, I don't care how much violence, I mean, I do care, right. but no matter how much violence and, and whatever we see in our world, the, the scales are tipped so much more heavily on the side of the good guys mm-hmm. that it was, it was marvelous. I, that, that's, um, that's what I love about your book is so much of the information that we take in is information of things going wrong or bad or devastation because when things go right that's that's not news right, right? and that's what i love is 
because we are in this information age and we get inundated with so much of the negative, we sometimes forget, and I think it begins to impact us, uh, about the the amount of positive humanity around us. Yes. Um, and if people shared those stories uh, with the frequency that they shared the other stuff, to your point, I think it would be outweighed... Um, in in a exponential way, I, I don't even I don't think it's even close. Yeah. Um, and and honestly, I I know it's not close. Yep. Uh, and that's that's what I I guess that's the thing that I I loved about reading about these encounters in your book is just how nice and kind and understanding people were. And that's not to say that um, everybody that you cross paths with uh, offered something, but so many did that it uh, had such an, a profound impact. Um, yes. So, the, I mean, those are the good things. What were some of the worst uh, parts in the immediate aftermath? Because obviously this wasn't sunshines and rainbows. Nope, not at all. Um, and also I'd like to, to circle around again, if we could, Steve, at some point to, um, you know, what, what the advice I might give to, to people who are going through or have been through such a thing. So mm-hmm. just, just putting that as a footnote. Okay. So some of the really, um, he, he, uh, in the immediate aftermath, it was finding a roof. In mm-hmm. other words, um, I couldn't stay at my best, my best friend is a doll and she has a lovely husband and they have a small home and I got two big dogs. There was no way I could impose on them for more than just a few nights. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I had to hotel hop because if you can bring to mind that that fire was so big that I forget how many hundreds of thousands of people were evacuated. So hotels were jammed, which meant I could find one night at one and then another night at another. The kennel that I was able to find was a full two hours away from where I was used to to living. Mm -hmm. And then trying to find a rental was, again, nigh unto impossible. So finding a roof, just a roof for Mm -hmm. us was number one. Number two, I had to keep working. I'm I'm a I'm a freelance worker. I'm an independent contractor, a trial consultant, and and if I'm not working a gig, we don't eat. Right. So I had to keep working, which meant I had to get clothes. Mm-hmm. You don't think about these things, but I bless Walmart and Target all the time because <laughs> that I had no money. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list just goes on. And what people don't who haven't been through this sort of thing don't realize is dealing with all of the the, mm, the administrations that you have to deal with uh-huh. for things you'd never thought of because the insurance doesn't go, Oh, you have insurance. Here's the money. It doesn't go that way. I had to make a detailed list, not only of every item in my home. Now think about that. Every item in every closet, in every drawer, etc. But I had to estimate if I, the value at the time of purchase, the depreciated value now and the replacement value. And insane. I can't. It was. I cried for two weeks. It took me two weeks to make the list. And of course, I already had PTSD. So this was like right. this made it worse. But God bless the insurance company. In the end, they did come through. But that's that sort of thing. And then things that you never think of, like just because your house burned down doesn't mean you're not still paying a mortgage. Right. You are. Whether you want to or not, the bank is going, sorry, we didn't do it. And then things like I had to see to it that it's what they call debris removal. That was step one. Mm -hmm. Then I had to see to the environmentally 
safe removal mm-hmm. of everything. So it's it's that kind of de- meanwhile you're trying to work, you're trying to find money anywhere you can find it. You got two panicky dogs and you've got nowhere to stay. Mm-hmm. So thank God for perfect strangers. Um the logistics of this sound nightmarish. Um how how long did it take you before you felt like you had resettled into somewhat of a normalcy? A year. Hmm. Easy. Is that it's when still, you is that when you still, found a more permanent residency? No, it was be, when I found a more permanent residency and and okay. My dogs were peaceful when I I don't know how to explain this. When the insurance finally did pay off, mm. I only got the final toxic waste removal accomplished this year. So this is where that was, tw- the fire took place in the November end of, of 2018, right, the end of 20, 2018. And we are speaking in sep- all, close to the same time in 2021. Exactly. Yes. Right. It took, it was sometime in June this year. So two and a half years later that I finally got the process of toxic waste removal completed. And only last week did I get the notification from the insurance company that the insurance company, what did pay for it. I didn't have to ante up any more money. Wow. It, it's unreal how long it goes on. Is, is, uh, so is that the end of it? Are you, are you done with the the logistical process of walking away from the fire yes. and everything now? Yeah. Because I was able to, and again, this happened at the beginning of this year, I was able to sell the property on which I had continued to pay a mortgage and insurance. Wow. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, people would say to me, oh, and you'll, I know you read this in the book, Steve, but this is the thing people would say to me, Noel, it's just stuff right. as in, you know, t-shirts and and finally, one day I exploded all over a very nice friend of mine, which isn't a good thing to do. But I said, it's not just, oh, he said, I'm sorry. He said, you're right. It's not just stuff. It's your story. Mm. And that is the killer. That's what nobody expects is that when, wherever we live, we're kind of like, you know, hermit crabs. We, we drag our stuff around with us, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was 70 when this fire hit. And I'd lived in this home for 18 years and practically rebuilt it from a teardown, not quite, but a real serious redo, and done a lot of the work myself because I really couldn't afford to do anything else. And I loved doing it. It mm-hmm. wasn't a sacrifice. It was a love affair. So when everything, everything went, it was all the mementos, all the photographs, all the, the little items from traveling, my ballroom medals pictures of my baby sister, the flag from that was my father's as a vet. All that stuff was gone. That's my story. Mm-hmm. So rebuilding your story is a whole different thing than buying a new load of t-shirts. I, that's the part people don't, who haven't been through, or, you know, it's hard for people to get. Yes. And I love that you point that out because I feel so often um, people cynically discuss the consumer nature of our existence um, as a bad thing, um, a- as if there is no value in the things that we acquire. Um, and th- like, I, I, I'm like you, I am, I have, I mean, every, I think I, I, I say that as if I'm special, uh, everybody has value in the things that they own, whether they want to admit it or not. 
And, um, like I look around and I think about the things that are important to me and the things that are replaceable and the things are, that are not replaceable. And to imagine that I, I wouldn't have a choice that literally everything would just be turned into dust. Like that is unimaginable to me. I just can't, I can't like my mind can't process it. And I'm, I'm when you described, uh, the experience of going to the site, uh, and being in a zombie like phase, like I, I, I get that, um, from, you know, at, at a distance, I understand, like I can, I can imagine that kind of a scenario. Um, you wanted to circle back to what advice you would give someone else, um, going yes. through something similar. Uh, do you want to do that? I would, I would appreciate that because it's, it's one of the ways that perfect strangers come into being, which is to be real clear of what I call your anchors in your life. And these are the things that give your life purpose and meaning. Hmm. Sometimes they're people, sometimes they are activities. Like I'll share what my anchors were. Um, I have no family left. I have one sister who lives in Florida and she's a doll, but she's <clears throat> quite far away. So my family is what we call a family or my friends. Mm -hmm. So there's my friends. That's one anchor. Then there's my church. Then there's my ballroom community, my ballet community, and believe it or not, my work community. Mm -hmm. So those things are, are way more than just stuff I do occasionally or stuff I don't really care much about. I see my friends regularly on purpose and connect with them. I attend my church, my various dance classes and so forth regularly. And I call those things. Now, for other people, it could be their family, their children. Sure. It could be growing tomatoes. It could be, it doesn't matter what it is, but they are those things which give your life purpose and meaning. Mm -hmm. The reason they're important is you have no idea how badly you don't want to get out of bed. You just don't. Mm -hmm. It's the world has become too awful. You just want to bury yourself in whatever cover you have and just stay there. But if you have anchors and you've make yourself in the beginning, you force yourself to just keep engaging with those anchors. So you call your friend. I would go to, I went to church. I went to dance classes. I didn't feel like it at all, mm -hmm. but I went. And that's where miracles started to happen from. Because standing in the parking lot outside one of my dance classes, a woman said, oh, I heard what happened to you. I'm a real estate agent and a tenant just left a rental with a yard. Would you like it? And I nearly fell on the mm -hmm. ground. It's like, are you kidding? I, I would give anything almost. And she be, brought the price way down so, to accommodate me. But that's how, you know, my ballet teacher found a pair of loner ballet slippers. If you're not a dancer, you wouldn't know what that means. But you can imagine if you were a runner and somebody went, here's sneakers that'll fit you. I can, I can lend them to you for a while. Right. That sort of thing. Clothes. People would, would just, people I hardly knew from church would say, oh, I'm sure you need a blanket. Here's a blanket. I'm sure you need this. Would you like it? It's a coat. It, it, it's a still in good shape. People just, just gave me stuff, but because I was there. So mm -hmm. that's the thing is, is what I, the advice I would give is do whatever you have to do to engage with those things you consider your anchors. And if you're not in one of these god-awful situations, then start to recognize how precious those anchors are in your life. Mm -hmm. 
you who are walking around just fine with the roof over your head and all is well and no fires, floods, etc., is recognize the value of those things that give your life purpose and meaning and engage with them with even more heart. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Uh, I So we, on a previous podcast, there was a study that was done that talked about um, how good tennis is, for example, for um, couples living longer. Um, yes. And one of the big reasons, and it's not because it is the most physically taxing thing to keep your health up. It is the social bonds that are developed by playing tennis at an older age. Perfect uh, example. And um, I, like, I just, I, I think about this a lot, um, about the social bonds that we create and the importance of it, which is why we know that, um, like, strong relationships, strong marriages are people in those relationships live longer. And it's all the intangibles that would take forever to discuss come into play. And, um, to your point about the people who are offering these different things to you, the, the part of your story that I love so much is you continue to engage with the community and you didn't shrink away from it. No. And because of that, um, opportunities presented themselves. Um, because as we discussed at the top, people want to help. People are good. And, um, I, like when the recent, uh, spate of hurricanes came through and started flooding, um, in the Gulf area again, mm-hmm. I was thinking about, um, you and the fact that you had a car that you could, drive up into to your home and, and evacuate and drive down. And then I think about the people in those hurricane zones where you can't drive, right? They're stuck. And, yep. and, and, um, just recognizing like the, I, I guess I, my, my question for you is how important is gratitude in all of this? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Steve, you know, probably better than most that, Pretty much every single one of my books is centered on what I call appreciation, <laughs> which is um, very akin to gratitude. And frankly, you can do either one and you'll be in good shape. Because the more that you look around your life, whatever your life is looks like now, okay? doesn't matter. Good, indifferent, whatever, is the more you can be grateful for those things in your life, which put a smile on your face, which make you want to get up in the morning, the more you're grateful for them, in a sense, the more energized they become, the more important they become in, in a, an energy way, for want of a better word. It's like your tennis thing is such a perfect example because it's a lovely combination, by the way, of the physical energizing, but of the emotional, because not everyone has the bliss of a beautiful marriage, let's mm-hmm. face it. Sure. And some relationships are not made in heaven. But you can always find, if you reach out, you can always find things that do fulfill that social bonding aspect, mm-hmm. whether it's a book club, whether it's playing tennis, whether it's, you know, even online connecting with the people who like to garden the way you do, right. whatever. It hardly matters. Be grateful is an enormous attractor, if you will, of more to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you were also talking about how you make a point to call people and to reach out and connect. Um, I, for people listening to this and reading the book, 
um, I just want to like emphasize like how important that is <laughs> yes. because uh, I do think we get so caught up in our daily lives. Uh, we begin to take it for granted um, uh, of the network that we have around us. As a matter of fact, like this weekend um, I have a, a, a medium sized group of people coming over just to hang out. Um, and, and I'm going to be cooking like a giant feast and stuff because that's what I like to do. Um, <laughs> But just being able to have a group of people and we don't, it's, it's not like, um, we all come from the same background with the same beliefs and the same everything it's we, but we all do appreciate each other and we appreciate each other's company and we are all friends and it's just, um, I think we don't, uh, take advantage of that enough just in general. Um, I'm not saying that I'm taking advantage of it enough, May I make um, a suggestion, yes, Steve? Yes, please. You know how we've often talked, because usually we're talking about marriage yeah. in our in our podcast, mm-hmm. is we've often talked about the value of, for a marriage of date night. Right. Well, what I do with my friends is the friend equivalent of date night, meaning I schedule. Mm-hmm. I set aside, Sunday is usually my day for being social. And so pretty much every Sunday you'll find me lunching with a different friend. Because that's Noel's version of your barbecue party. Right, right. That's so, yes. It doesn't matter how you manage it, whether it's a group of of people that you invite every, I don't know what, that, you know, come together, or it's a one-on-one, but it's the equivalent of date night. And if you want to have strong, well-connected, bonded relationships that, believe me, will serve you if Mm -hmm. ever the you-know hits the fan, (laughs) then you got to be diligent about it to some degree. And it may sound forced, but it's never felt forced to me. Mm-hmm. What do you know what I love about that though, is it's intentional. Yes. Um, it's, it's deliberate. And so I know there are, um, like, so I have a, an older brother who is the battalion chief and I have a younger brother who's a, a high school teacher and he's got, um, two kids. Uh, one of them just started sports and kindergarten and like whatever. I bring that up because I know his free time is going to be spent at like T-ball games and different things like that. Um, there are relationships to be formed there, um, but not just your, the obligatory, I'm going to go to the game because my kid is in this thing, but you can actually form relationships and be intentional about being there. And you can Correct. carve out time after the games to socialize and different things. Um, and, and to your point about your Sunday socializing thing, it's football season as we're recording this episode. <laughs> I meet up with my friends every Sunday and hang out and we watch the games sometimes for two hours, sometimes for the whole day. Um, and it, it honestly is a day for me to connect and recharge my batteries and just socialize and I'll come home and, and Jess, my wife will ask like, Oh, so how is everybody? Whatever. Eh, it's fine. Everything's good. We don't have to even have deep, <laughs> deep philosophical conversations. Nope. Um, sometimes we do, right? Like sometimes we will share what, what's going on in our life and, and, and very deep and important things. And other times it's just like, eh, we're, we just like being together yeah. and, and that's important. Yes. <clears throat> yes, it is. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up before we wrap up this episode outside of buy your book? Phoenix Rising, <laughs> Surviving Catastrophic Loss, Fires, Floods, Hurricanes, and Tornadoes, available on Amazon in paperback, ebook, or audiobook. 
<laughs> no, but I sure appreciate the plug. Um, just to know that no matter what happens in your life, you absolutely can survive and there is a new story to be born. Mm. Absolutely. You know, uh, you mentioned the, the story to be born and you described how they weren't things, they were part of your story. And I can only imagine that uh, post-fire, you have new stories from some of the things that you received. And I'm sure, I, w- I would imagine that there are certain things that you have been given or lent or whatever that carry uh, outsized meaning because of the circumstances in which you receive them. Absolutely. And if you want to attach gratitude to that, feel free. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, th- th- well, Noel, thank you uh, for sharing your story. Thank you for discussing your book. Um, next time you're on, we will discuss more relationship-focused things. But, I, you know, it's interesting. When, when people ask me about Hitch, just in general, um, I describe it as a marriage lifestyle publication mm. um, that covers all aspects of life. Um, and basically I'm like, it's about relationships really. I mean, marriage is the niche that we've kind of carved out for ourselves, but it is about strong relationships and stop. And everything falls in line as far as I'm concerned, uh, with strong relationships. If you can start there with strong relationships, everything else is in play. And so, um, that's what I love about your book is it really highlights the importance of these strong relationships and the role that they play in in bad times as well as the good because so many times we talk about like the good stuff but it i think having these strong relationships uh really come into focus uh and and I guess I'm focusing too much on the strong relationships because one of the highlights of your book is the perfect stranger, the people who you have zero relationship with, and it's just the good of humanity. So Yes, but it does come out of the relationships you have with those communities that you're involved. And I consider, for me, you know, dance community, church community, for others it could be tennis community, doesn't matter. But that's how those perfect strangers can even know of your existence. That's right. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Part of the fabric, right? When we yep. talk about the fabric of society, yes. So, anyways, I will stop blabbing. Uh, you, <laughs> uh, but before we do go, I want to remind everyone that you have been listening to Dr. Noel Nelson, a clinical psychologist, a consultant, a popular speaker in the U.S. and abroad, the author of over a dozen books, uh, best-selling books. Uh, the one that we are discussing today is Phoenix Rising, Surviving Catastrophic Loss, Fires, Floods, Hurricanes, and Tornadoes. It is available on Amazon in uh, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Love the cover, by the way. Um, also, uh, because I, it's still very relevant, uh, is I Survived COVID-19, What Now? Finding Happiness and Success in a Post-COVID World. And uh, another, uh, I don't want to call it an oldie but goodie, but uh, one of the uh, not <laughs> newest book, Happy Healthy Dead, uh, why what you think you know about aging is wrong and how to get it right. Uh, you will find gratitude in all these books. Uh, and you can also find this information at Noel's website, noelnelson.com. You can, of course, find this information on our website, hitchedmag.com. Uh, and uh, 
check out our book, Phoenix Rising. Uh, and so until next time, thank you so much, Noel. It was a, a great pleasure to do this episode. Um, this was a special one. So thank you so much for right. Honestly, like writing down your, uh, story and sharing it with the world and providing the lessons. So it may ease because we can cut this last part off if you want, but, um, climate change is making this worse and more frequent and prevalent. And, um, I think we're seeing the devastating effects of it. And so I, you know, unfortunately your, your story is not the last one that's going to be told like this, but hopefully your book, um, will help those who go through it in the future. That is, that is my desire. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve. My pleasure. Uh, okay, everybody until next time, uh, Phoenix rising, amazon.com. And we'll talk to you again next week. Take care, everybody.